Good morning, church. Um, I'm so excited and blessed um, to be here today and to bring you guys the message. Um, hey, for those of you who have been joining in on our online services, um, you'll know that we've been journeying through a foundation series, looking at the foundations of our faith and exploring what is left when we strip away the layers of religion. Now, going back to the basics, back to the foundations of our faith, is always a really powerful and moving thing to do. And I think that this is even more true in the current climate we find ourselves in. Because we've been given this somewhat unique opportunity to not only talk about, but actively live out what the Christian faith looks like when we don't have access to the pews or the organ or even the same communion cups or the physical church. And so we began a couple of weeks ago by looking at salvation and prayer with Pastor Tim. And then two weeks ago, Ange talked about baptism and we had um, the privilege to see Eliza get baptised. And well, this morning we're continuing our foundation series by looking at communion. And as we do this, we're going to explore two questions. First, what is communion? And second, how do we take communion? But before we do that, I want to start with a a little story, and I should preface this story by saying it's actually one I kind of wish I could forget. And while if there's any kids watching this at home, don't learn, um, don't do the same mistake that I made, okay? So try not to learn anything too much from this story. So this one day, um, my brother Tom and I were playing what used to be my favourite game in the whole world, Pichirika. Um, And funnily enough, we played this game at youth on Friday night, total coincidence. Um, And I used to love it and Tom and I played it all the time. But this one time we were playing it and I kept becoming increasingly frustrated because Tom was winning and I was losing at my favourite game. It wasn't fair. And so I came to the conclusion that Tom had to be cheating. Like I didn't know how he was doing it because it's not really a game you can cheat in, I have realised now. But I was so convinced that he was cheating and that's why I was losing. Now, I don't remember exactly what followed next, but I know that night we had some family friends over for dinner and they happened to walk into the lounge room where Tom and I was playing um, with my parents at the moment when I was at my most frustrated point. And to be honest, that probably included some yelling and a bit of crying on my behalf. Um, And my dad (laughs) and mum were just mortified at my behaviour, especially in front of our friends. So I was sent straight to my room. Um, I couldn't play with our friends and I couldn't sit down for dinner with everybody. And already being in a bad mood from losing my favourite game, I was distraught by this point. So I went to my room, but instead of thinking about what I had done and you know, coming out to mum and dad and apologising for my actions, um, I decided to try something a little bit different to work my way out of trouble. And at the time, these ideas seemed like a really really great, and I thought my dad would not be able to resist. So first of all, I tried to promise my way out of trouble. So dad came back into my room and I said, dad, I promise I will be on my best behaviour all night if you let me out. Dad, I promise I won't do it again. I have learnt my lesson. Well, that didn't work. So I went back to the drawing board and I came up with a second idea. Well, what if I try to work my way out of trouble? Surely that will work. So I said, Dad, if, I, if you let me out of my room, I will clean my room, make my bed, do the dishes, wash the floor. I will do whatever you want me to do for the whole week. Just please let me out of my room. Well, that didn't work either. And I was starting, starting to get more frustrated and run out of ideas. But then, 
Then came the best idea I had had yet. I decided I was going to pay my way out of my room. So I walked over to my piggy bank. I took $20 out, called my dad back. And when he opened the door, I showed him the $20. And I said, Dad, I will give you this if you let me out of my room. Now, to my astonishment, that didn't even work. And I actually ended up being in way more trouble than I was at the start. And it backfired big time. Now, I think a lot of you can relate to at least one aspect of this story. Maybe you remember something you wish you could forget. Or maybe you've tried to promise work or pay your way out of trouble before. And I'm sure for those of you who have tried to work, promise or pay your way out of trouble before, you've learnt the same lesson as me. You can't do it. It doesn't work. And this is a lesson that stands true not only in our physical lives here on earth, but also our spiritual lives. See, unlike my story, one which I would rather forget, knowing that we can't work, promise or pay our way out of trouble in our spiritual lives is something that we should remember. And in fact, it's something we're told to remember. And we do this at a time of communion. We see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and in 1 Corinthians 23 to 26, which says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup, new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, communion is a time of remembrance, and specifically, it's a time of remembering the sacrifice made by Jesus Christ when he died for our sins on the cross. However, I believe to fully understand communion and to take it in any meaningful way, you first have to understand why Jesus died and what his death means for us today. That's to say, to understand communion fully, you first have to know, believe, and understand what the gospel message is. So I have a question for you guys today. What is the gospel message? If your friend, your grandchild, your child, or even a stranger came up to you and asked what the gospel message is, how would you explain it to them? Now, I was asked this very same question at an ESA camp almost a year ago now. And having grown up in a Christian family and having attended church my whole life, I could not for the life of me think of a coherent and simple to explain answer of what the gospel message was. And maybe some of you feel like this today. Maybe you've been around the church a long time, yet you can't simply explain the gospel message to a non-believer. Or maybe you're still learning the gospel message Or, for some of you, you may have no idea what I mean when I even say gospel message. So no matter where you're at in your knowledge and understanding of the gospel message this morning, it's my prayer that in the next 15 minutes, you will not only understand the gospel message, but be comfortable to explain it to others, and that it will help you take communion in a more meaningful way. Now, there's a ministry called Dare to Share. And they have a very simple yet powerful way to learn, remember, and explain what the gospel message is. And it's really simple using an acronym for the word gospel itself. So the word gospel, it's a six-letter word, and it's spelled G-O-S-P-E-L. Now the first letter is G, and this can be remembered as 
God created us to be with him. See, God created us to be in a relationship with him. And we read this in Genesis 1, 27 to 31. It says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. For the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. And then in verse 31, it goes on to say that God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Now we see here, God made Adam and Eve for a purpose, to be fruitful, to multiply and to fill the earth with their offspring. He created them to rule over the animals and to care for his garden, to be in a relationship with each other and in a relationship with him. And this too is how we were created, you and I to be in a close and honest relationship with God. However, now our sins separate us from God. And this is the O in gospel. Our sins, yours and mine, separate us from God. See, God had given Adam and Eve everything they needed and more. They had only one command, and that was not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. However, in Genesis chapter 3, we see Adam and Eve attempted by the serpent, the great deceiver, Satan. And falling into this temptation, they disobeyed the command of God and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they immediately knew that they had done wrong and they tried to hide from God. They had broken the honest and true relationship they had had with him. Now God found them and confronted them and having broken their relationship with him, They were banished from the garden. They faced painful childbirth and hard work as consequences for their actions. And the ultimate consequence for sin was death. And when they disobeyed God in the garden, Adam and Eve became immediately polluted by sin and selfishness. And as a result, all of their offspring, including you and me, were born sinful and selfish. And so you and I were born separated from the right relationship with God. And from the time we sinned, we have been trying to rid ourselves of that sin and restore our relationship with God. However, the S in gospel can stand for the fact that sins cannot be undone by good deeds. Just like I could not work, promise or pay my way out of trouble in my story at the start, neither can we work, promise or pay our way out of our sins and broken relationship with God. However, if you've ever tried to do exactly that, then you're not alone, that's for sure. In Exodus, we see the Israelites, after having experienced God's faithfulness firsthand when he led them out of Egypt, looked to themselves and thought they could please God in their own strength, so much so that even their good deeds became corrupted by selfish motives. All right, so so far we have, cre- we have um, discovered that God created us to be in a relationship with him that our sins separate us from God and that our sins cannot be undone by good deeds. So then how do we pay for our sins? Surely the God who created us to be in a relationship with us has created a way also for our relationship with him to be restored and that he has. In Leviticus, the third book of the Old Testament, God gave the Israelites a sacrificial system. 
And this is where a clean and unblemished animal was to be sacrificed for each one of their sins. This meant that a lamb or a goat would die for their sins instead of them. However, this was not God's final plan. God had another plan in store, one that would see our sins paid for once and for all, should we choose to believe in and follow his plan. And so the P in gospel can be remembered as paying the price for our sins, Jesus died and rose again. See, God sent Jesus, his one and only son, to die on a cross for our sins. Jesus was the perfect and therefore permanent sacrifice for our sins. And should we choose to believe and trust in him? Meaning we no longer had to die for our sins or make animal sacrifices for them. Restoring our relationship was not free. It cost Jesus his life. And it is this, Jesus' sacrifice for our sins and the laying down of his life while we were still sinners that we remember at communion. And our sins are not only forgiven through his death, but through his resurrection. We are put back in a right relationship with God. And through his resurrection, we have life. So if we don't have to pay for our sins because Jesus paid for them for us, then what do we have to do? Well, the E in gospel can be remembered as everyone who trusts in him and him alone has eternal life. The grace of God, which was shown to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is a gift. It's something that is given to us and not something that we can work or pay for. And we read this in Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 where it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not by your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. And like all gifts, you have to accept the gift of grace. We have to acknowledge that we were designed to be in a relationship with God, but that our relationship with him is broken because of our sins. We have to be sorry for sinning and breaking that relationship with God. We have to believe in Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, accept his grace and his forgiveness and ask him into our lives. And when we do this, we have new life. And this can be remembered through the Al in gospel because life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. Okay, so let's recap the gospel message. God created us to be with him. Our sins separate us from him. Sins cannot be undone by good deeds. Paying the price for our sins, Jesus died and rose again. Everyone who believes in him and him alone has eternal life. And life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. Now, if you've never heard the gospel message before, Or maybe you have, but you've never understood it, nor told Jesus you're sorry and asked him into your life. I would love to give you the opportunity to do so right now before we continue. So if you want to make a decision to follow Jesus today and believe in this gospel message for yourself, I encourage you to pray this prayer with me at home. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you today and acknowledge that while I was created by you, to be in a loving and honest relationship with you, that my sins have separated us. God, I am sorry for the times when I have disobeyed you 
And for the times when I have tried to earn back my right relationship with you instead of accepting your gift. God, this morning, I want to accept your gift of your forgiveness and your grace, which which was poured out to me through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, your son. God, from today, may I live a life free from sin and full of your Holy Spirit. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer today, or whenever you're watching this video, then I would love to chat with you and make sure you are supported and connected as you begin your journey with God. So please reach out so that we can journey alongside you. Okay, so now that we have the gospel message, we can take communion in a meaningful way. Because at communion, we remember that we could not work or pay for our own sins or restore our own relationship with God. We remember that it was Jesus who paid the price for our sins and that it is through him and him alone that our relationship with God is restored. Communion is and always will be a central part of the Christian faith. After all, what it represents, Jesus' sacrifice and payment for our sins, is the very foundation of our faith. Communion is so central to our Christian faith that it's remembered across denominations. Baptist, Catholic, Anglican, Church of Christ, they all partake in communion. The only thing that changes is the way that it's presented and partaken in. But this can change across denominations or even among churches within the same denomination and sometimes even within this church itself. So how do we here at York Street Church of Christ take communion? Well, usually when we can meet together physically, we take communion every single week. We drink apple and black currant juice from individual single-use communion cups. We don't eat bread, but instead we eat gluten-free crackers. At the 8.45 and 10.30 services, we eat the bread in our own time and drink the cup together. But then at the 6 p.m. service, we eat and drink the cup in our own time. See, it differs even within our own church. And these ways are by no means the only way communion can be taken. It's simply how we take it here at York Street Church of Christ. And the reason we take it in such a way is honestly pretty simple. There's no big theological reasoning behind the single-use plastic cups we use. It's simply that it's more hygienic to use individual communion cups than share from the one. The current COVID-19 virus has shown the world just how quickly a single virus can spread. Add to that bacteria and other germs and more viruses. And using a single-use plastic cup seems like a very easy and logical thing to do. Again, different, commu- different denominations use different juices or even wine for the communion cup. Here at York Street Church of Christ, we use juice for the simple reason that it makes communion accessible to everybody. Kids, youth, adults, we can all drink juice. And finally, we eat gluten-free crackers for a very similar reason. It makes communion accessible to everyone, those who have and those who do not have allergies. The point is that communion is taken across different denominations and among churches differently. And that's okay, as long as the importance is always put on what communion represents. Communion is and always will be a central part of our faith. 
But the importance of communion does not lie in the table, the brand of bread we eat or the kind of cup we drink from. If we put the importance of communion in these things, then we would not be able to join together as the body of Christ and partake in communion during this time of physical separation. And if we were to place the importance of communion in these things, then we miss the point of communion altogether. The importance of communion lies in what the communion emblems represent, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And as learned in 1 Corinthians 11.27, what counts is the heart that we approach the communion table with. It's for these very reasons, because we know the importance of communion is in the bread and the juice and what they represent, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And because we believe in the importance of our heart condition as we approach the communion table, that as a church, we have been able to take communion every single week, even in this time of isolation, even when we have been unable to physically meet together and drink the same juice or eat the same bread. See, when we understand the gospel message, we can take communion in a meaningful way. And when we meaningfully partake in communion, we put our focus on what is truly important, remembering Jesus' sacrifice when he's laid his life down as payment for our sins. And when he rose again on the third day, defeating death and restoring our relationship with God. And right now we are again given the opportunity to partake in communion together as the body of Christ and remember the sacrifice. So often it is easy to remember things that we wish we could forget. Maybe you find it easy to remember the time you said a swear word or the time you took $10 without asking or when you've tried to earn your way back into a right relationship with God. But as we approach the communion table now, you're given the opportunity to remember something that is well worth remembering. You are forgiven for all of your sins. Jesus has removed your sins as far away from the east is from the west and your relationship with God has been restored. Is that not worth remembering this morning? And so, if you believe in the gospel message and you have accepted that you cannot pay for your own sins, then I encourage you now to enter a time of remembrance with me, eating the bread that represents Jesus' body, which was broken for you, and drinking the juice representing Jesus' blood that was shed for you as payment for your sins and restoration of your relationship with God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word that is given to us so that we can come to truly understand who you are. And God, that we can understand who you created us to be. I thank you, God, that you created us to be in a loving and honest relationship with you. And I thank you that you loved us enough, God, that even though we broke that relationship, you sent Jesus, your one and only son, to die in our place on the cross so that we could, our sins could be forgiven and that we could come back into a right relationship with you. God, I pray today that as we take communion, that you would help us focus our attention on what the bread and the juice represent. I pray, God, that all distractions would be removed and that we would have this time to truly remember you, your sacrifice, your gift, and our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.